0: I thank you for who you are. Lord, you are our God and you are in control of all things. We get to see your hand in everything that we do. if We would just look for it. Lord, I pray that your words speak and that mine may stay quiet and that you would speak through it, that you would get rid of the things that you need to and that you would add the things that you want. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week is Joseph. Last week he spent a long time on Judah. In Judah, he acknowledged his unrighteousness, and God blessed him for it. But this week we're going to see a man named Joseph who seemed from the very beginning of his life to be obedient to God. And in the church, there are all types of people. There are both those that spend a long time away from God, and there are those who come to God at a very young age. And often we struggle with this. We struggle, where is my testimony? Right, when I know Jesus from the time I was this big, I don't seem to have this crazy story about how I came to Christ. But in reality, if we look at the life of Joseph, we see that obedience is one of the greatest testimonies that we can have. And Joseph his obedience and God's faithfulness brings about the salvation of the Israelites. And we get to see God's promise to Abraham where he promises him in Genesis 12:3 that he will be the father of many nations. And he repeats this promise again in Genesis 15 and then again in Genesis 22:17 and 18. It says this, I will surely bless you I will surely multiply your offspring at the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You see, from the time of Abraham till the time they enter into Egypt is 200 years. That is such a long time for this blessing to be realized. And during the time of Joseph, there's about 70 people, hardly the the stars in the sky and the sand at the seashore. But as we see this life of Joseph, we're going to understand how God works in his life. There's two ways that I want us to look at this message. First, number one, that he's going to save a family that is destined for family division and violence. Basically, they're going to be destroyed from within. And then Joseph, he saves the family from global famine that is endangering them from the outside. Guys, being in Egypt allows them to start to grow the way God designed it. So keep this in mind as I tell this story of Joseph. So this family's a mess, and all our families are a mess, including my family and all of yours. And if you say your family's not a mess, you're lying. Every one of you. Every one of us is in need of a Savior, in need of a shepherd. And we went through it last week, how big of a mess this is, but we're going to add vengeance to it and thank God for Joseph. So they're in the land of Canaan. And we know that, that Joseph is this good kid. And we know often good children, maybe they're loved by their parents, but they are not in good graces with their brothers and their other siblings and their sisters. And so we see this 17-year-old boy, and instead of going down the line of Judah, we're going to stay with Joseph in that perspective. Genesis 37, 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Can you imagine being the brother of the so-called favorite perfect son, Guys, not even Jesus was oblivious to this. His family was saying in Mark 3.21 that he was out of his mind while they're seeing his ministry. Guys, if I'm writing this Bible, that's not what I'm putting in it. I'm saying that his family loved him because he was perfect. They followed him because he was perfect. I'm not putting in these these little elements. That doesn't help the story if this isn't true. Guys, understand so much here. That Joseph, his entire life. What we see as just being a tattletale, as he tells in his brothers, literally opens up the entire salvation of all those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So the next time you tell your kids not to be a tattletale, remember that. God uses all these moments. And so his brothers, Genesis thirty-seven 18, they're literally, they're doing something, right? Because they're watching from afar and they see Joseph coming. And they conspire to kill him. They're like, this dream expert is coming. This tattletale is coming. He's going to tell daddy all these things that we've been doing wrong. And I don't know what they were doing wrong at that time. Right? I don't know what they were smoking back in Bible days. I don't know what they were drinking back in Bible days. Or the girls that they were hanging with. I don't know that answer. But obviously they were doing some things that Jacob wasn't trusting them. And like most of us, we think if we get rid of this person or get rid of this other person out of our life, that it's going to end the problem when the problem is us. And thank God he's using Reuben who has daddy issues because he slept with his dad's wife. I mean, what a trust dump that is. And Reuben, in an effort to do everything to make up with his dad, Saves Joseph so that he can save the family. I mean, this family is crazy. And so often we laugh at these stories. But these stories are all around us. Everyone is crazy. Everyone is in need of Jesus. Everybody in here has Jesus, and yet we are still crazy. Imagine this world out there. Guys, I'm taking a little bit of a side note, but if we would just... Take a second to understand other people's point of views. It would go so long in having peace and unity in this world that we live in. Guys, think about what other people are going through. No matter what side it is, not just about what we are going through. And then we see Reuben, right, as we keep going. He, he's, he stops them from killing Joseph, And then Judah, he decides that they should sell him off to these slave traders, and they go down to Egypt. And everything on the surface of this story seems like a curse for Joseph. But in reality, if we can just see God's plan, it is the exact opposite. What we see as a curse is actually a blessing. You see, if Joseph doesn't have a a problem with his family... They maybe die of starvation, or maybe they burst into flames from all this inner turmoil. They melt back into civilization, civilization, and we don't have an Israelite family. Our Joseph is being used to keep them together. The Bible is literally revolutionary on it handles Vengeance. Throughout the history of mankind, we have carried out vengeance on those that have harmed us. And the Bible says, no, we have to stop. There must be compassion. There must be forgiveness. And we're going to see that in this story of Joseph. Joseph is not going to carry out vengeance. And people seek out revengeance, vengeance in all kinds of ways. All kinds of ways when we should be living out a life of compassion and forgiveness. You see, our God, He looks at this world differently. He has a a viewpoint that we cannot see. And getting sold into slavery would look like a curse to us. But Joseph, he goes down to Egypt. And he ends up at the house of Potiphar, who was in the office of Pharaoh. And we see in Genesis 39.4, what seemed to be a curse is now a blessing. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him. And he made him an overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Potiphar put him in charge because he's obedient, he's he's loyal, he's hardworking. Things that as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be. Joseph is living the high life, but if he continues to live the high life, he may never be in charge of Egypt to save his family from the famine. And as we read on, Joseph is a pretty good-looking dude. And Potiphar's wife, she takes notice. She's like this hunk of hunk of burning love. She wants to do something with him that probably shouldn't even be in the Bible. But yet, Joseph, his moral standards are on display. They are so impressive how he handles each of the situations that he's put in. Guys, is that what our life looks like? Every situation that we are put in, do we use the moral standards that God has given us? Is it displayed to those that are around us? It's so important. And throughout this story, Potiphar's wife, we see this vengeance come out because he doesn't want to sleep with her. And he slips out of his garment and she uses it to get him put in prison. Vengeance can come out in so many ways. It can come out in the silent treatment that you put on your husband or your wife. It can come out in controlling somebody else's life. It can come out in all the different ways that you may be thinking of. So, everything is cursed again in Joseph's life, right? At least from what we see, he ends up in prison. But he probably should have been put to death if Potiphar believed his wife. And then we see him in prison. Right, While he's in prison, he still leads this life of integrity. He's put in charge of everything. And our God, he works in all circumstances, including yours, including mine. So while he's there, he interprets some dreams. He does it correctly, and then he thinks, oh yeah, now I'm going to get out, but nope. He spends the next two years there. And if he'd have got out at that time, would he have been able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams? I don't know. I don't think so. You see, God had a plan. Even though he's in prison, he's going to interpret this dream of Pharaoh and he's going to be put in charge of the entire land of Egypt to save him from this famine that's about to come. But what is more important than saving Egypt from this famine is saving this people group, these Israelites, that Jacob's family, that later on will be the fathers of Jesus. Jesus. And this plan is starting to unfold now. Jesus is, or Joseph is, fulfilling this promise as being a leader in the line of Abraham. Joseph is great, but he is nothing compared to Jesus. True greatness is in Jesus. And so there is this famine, right? And and they're starving. And Jacob tells the sons to go down to get some grain. When Jacob learned that there was grain for Egypt for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, "Why do you look at one another?" And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain. There is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy it for us. There we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's, sons, brother, Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin. Joseph's brothers were with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. We tend to struggle with the next part. We wonder why this Joseph why he seems to change since his so-called kingship. I mean, why was the obedient, non-vengeful Joseph messing with his brothers? Couldn't he have just given them what they wanted, telling him who he is, and then all of them would have been kumbaya? No. You see, God had a plan. And as we read this story, can we learn something and not be judgmental of it? I mean, what would you do if you were the second most powerful man in the world and somebody that had just sold you into slavery showed up at your doorstep? You could take their life at any moment and nobody would say a thing. But that's not what Joseph is going to do. Joseph is going to allow God's plan to unfold. Genesis 42, 8 and 9. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams the dreams that he had of them. And he said to them, you are spies, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. Joseph remembered the dream. He understood that they must play out in order to save the family. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish that God would just write down his plans for me, like a little blueprint. Right here, he literally gives Joseph a blueprint in these dreams. I remember when I was going to school to be a pastor. And I'm kind of speaking fast here, but... My wife, she didn't want me to be a pastor. She didn't want to leave. And finally something happened and she said, all right, we can go. And when she opened the door, our house sold within weeks and I had two offers to be a graduate assistant baseball coach. One was at Corbin University and the other was at Grace University and I did not know which one to pick. And I'd been studying Joseph at the time and I thought, you know what, I'm going to pray that God gives me a dream. And that night... God literally gave me a dream, and I was coaching at the baseball field that Grace plays at, and I'd never seen it, and the team was wearing white and blue uniforms. Grace University was white and blue, and Corbin was green. And I said, okay, God, that's where we're going. I called Corbin, and I said, I can't take the job. I called Grace, and I accepted it, and my family went to Grace University. But while we're at Grace University, I can see the writing on the wall. I can see that I really, really like being a baseball coach. And I'm really good at recruiting. I'm really good at coaching. And I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe God's plan wasn't for me to be a pastor. Maybe God's plan was for me to be a baseball coach. Needless to say, that July, they dropped the baseball team, and God had a plan. And then I could see the school was closing down. And I needed to hustle to get my degree And doing an internship here was the fastest way that I could get my degree. So God brought me back here, and He had a plan for each of those. Now, God doesn't always speak to me in dreams, no. But that moment, I felt like I had a blueprint as I was going to school to be a pastor. And Joseph, right here, he's following an even more important blueprint. He understands that as he goes through this, all these prophecies, these dreams that he had must come true, they must be fulfilled. And he also understands that maybe if I send them back, there's still 5 years left in this famine, they may die. They may never come to Egypt under his leadership. They may never be repentant for the things that have been bothering them. And so Joseph carries out the blueprint. He understood that all 11 of his brothers, his mother and his father must come for this dream to be fulfilled. God is testing his brothers. You see, they must feel God against them, and they will eventually be repentant for the sin that they did against Joseph. What a gift that is, to be repentant of the sin that has been bothering us for so long. So we see in the story that Joseph imprisons them. He gives them some time to think, and that they do. You see a little time in the slammer. And the thought of Jacob and his face as they tell him that they lost another brother and that they have to take Benjamin with them to get back the things that they have, to get more food, to get back their brother. But I like to think of it this way. Because I understand what they're talking about. Guys, these brothers have been holding on to this sin of selling their brother into slavery for years. Every single one of these thoughts run through their head weekly, monthly, daily. I don't know how many times, but I know that it controls their moods. It controls everything that they do. It controls the way they act and the way they respond to every situation. And then we see in Genesis 42, 21, they start to recognize this guilt. They said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the distress of his soul, and, we, and he begged us, and we did not listen to him. That is why this distress has come upon us. Did you guys catch that? Literally every day, they had to remember looking down in the pit as Joseph literally begs for them to let him out. Would that not haunt your mind, seeing that? And they had to live with that every single day. And now, because of what Joseph is doing, what God is doing through Joseph, there's an opportunity that that thought may be reprieved. You see, they're starting to recognize their blackheartedness. God is working in their heart. And then Joseph sends them off with full bags, minus Simeon. He keeps Simeon. They go home, and they have to to share with Jacob what's going on. And obviously, Jacob is not very excited about it. Genesis 42, 36. And Jacob, their father, said to him, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Man, there is no way, no how, that he is letting them take Benjamin. How many times have you said that in your life? Right There is no way, no how, that I'm going to Omaha. There is no way, no how, that I'm going to be a pastor. There is no way, no how, that I'm going to do this. And God has a funny way of sending a famine. God directs our life. He did yesterday, he will today, and he will in the future. Genesis 43.1, now the famine was severe in the land. This famine... It accomplished God's mission, not only in Joseph's life, not only in the brother's life, but most importantly, we're going to see it in Judah's life and then on down the line as we see Jesus. Genesis 43, 8 and 9, and Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will rise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety, From my hand you shall require it. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. And Jacob ends up letting Benjamin go. He has a trust for Judah. That trust is so important. Then we see this leadership with Judah as the, the family is saved through the actions of God, most importantly, and then through Joseph and Judah. And They load up these items and they take off and then imagine Joseph As he's looking out and he sees Benjamin with his brothers coming, imagine the emotions in his heart as he sees them riding in. And he must have a feast. But he also knows that God has some more testing to do. He wants to test their truthfulness and their repentance because it's what's best for them. It's what's best for the prophecy. It's what must carry the family line on so we can see Jesus. And then also, I love this part. I have to share it. We see this moment where God pays the debt. See, but to be honest with you, God will not pay the debt unless we're honest about our sins. And they bring everything back to Joseph. Everything. All the money that they had brought before, and they brought back more. And they're so nervous how the steward is going to respond. But yet he responds the same way God does to us when we bring him everything. Listen to what the steward says in Genesis 43, 23. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasures in your sack for you. I received your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. They did not not pay for it. Guys, God paid for it. And then he blesses him. Guys, God paid for our salvation and that just isn't enough. Then he blesses us. Look at what they do. They get Simeon back. They get their feet washed as they're preparing them for a meal with the leader of Egypt. They feed their donkeys, and then they get this meal. Genesis 43, 28, they said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And then they do what the dream said they would do. Right here, they bow their heads, and they prostrate themselves. And at that moment, you see Joseph. He is so overwhelmed as he weeps. The emotions are overflowing as he's having dinner with them in this room. And they don't quite realize it as they are all sit in order of when they were born. He loads up Benjamin's portions. They're all being fed like kings. They are being blessed. And then he sets up this final test where he puts a silver cup in the sack of Benjamin. The brothers leave and then the steward chases after them and he gets to them and he accuses them of stealing Joseph's cup and then we get to see Judah's heart, how he responds to Joseph. What a blessing this is to see how Judah responds in this situation. Man, listen to this. And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? Genesis 44, 16. What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are the Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. He's saying we are guilty. Not for stealing the cup. He's saying we are guilty for what we did to our brother. You see, there it is. God sees this guilt. And when God sees the guilt, when we give it to him, when we give the guilt to God, then we can see how God works in our life and he can actually give us a break from it. I know exactly what he's talking about. Joseph looks at him and he says this in 44, Actually, this is Judah. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. Judah is willing to give his life for the boy. Guys, this is the story of the entire book. Christ was willing to give his life for us, and are we willing to give our life to him? And the only way we do that is recognizing our guilt, being repentant of it. In all of Joseph's tests, they help Judah recognize this guilt, and it gives him back his life. And then I love how the Bible tells us that Joseph cries, Guys, I know we don't always look at it, but crying is a gift from God. Crying shows how much we care. It shows this beautiful emotion. It shows that we have a passion for other things, compassion for others. It makes us different. It shows that we love and we care. Guys, crying is a blessing. It's a blessing. Let's move on a little bit. Genesis 45, one through three. And then Joseph could not control himself. Before all those who stood by him, he cried, make everyone go out from me. No one stayed with him. When Joseph made himself known to his brothers, he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I am still alive. Is my father alive? But his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed at his presence. Of course they were. Man, it's like a dead man walking. It's a dead man talking. Joseph has come back from the dead. And God's plan this entire time was to see this repentance in his brothers, to give them this blessing. They passed the test. And then Joseph, he sends them back to their father to go get him. Imagine being Jacob, hearing the news that your son Joseph is alive. And he responds the way most of us would. His heart was numb. He can't hardly believe it. But then he sees all this caravan come in and it says something so powerful in verse 27. It says the spirit in his heart was revived. You see, there was a hole in his heart and now it is fulfilled in the life of his son and he has no choice but to go see him. Joseph is this pre-Christ like figure. Our heart is numb until we find Jesus and then the spirit of our heart is revived and we are whole and we have no choice but to live a life with him right here God speaks to Jacob and he tells him to go to Egypt he told Abraham and Isaac not to go but right now he's telling him you must go to Egypt if Abraham's promise is going to be fulfilled and right there 70 people go down to Egypt Genesis 46 27 and the sons of Joseph were born to him in Egypt were two all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70 70 people go down and it says in Exodus twelve thirty seven, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about six hundred thousand men on foot, beside women and children. That's probably around two million people leave Egypt. That's a fulfillment of the promise. But I love about this story. You see, as Joseph's brothers come in, he could have wiped them out in a second. He could have lived the high life like a king does. Imagine looking at your brothers as they beg you. You remember that moment when you were in the pit, looking up at your brothers, begging them for mercy, begging them for compassion, and now you're Joseph, and you're looking at your brothers, and they're bowing to you, and they're begging you for the same thing, and Joseph does the exact opposite. He shows compassion. He shows forgiveness instead of hate. And, vengeance. and God uses him to save the family from the famine. And not only that, they thrive. As God multiplies this family into a nation, a great nation, the promise that he gave to Abraham. Until Joseph, you couldn't see that promise, but there is no doubt after Joseph that you see the promise promised. So as we finish, let me read Jacob's blessing for Joseph as we finish this Foundations of the Gospel series. Genesis 48, 15 and 16. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who had been my shepherd all my life long, to this day, the angel has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. That's exactly what happened. You see, Joseph was obedient. And in his obedience, people that have given their life to Jesus Christ have been saved. It set the foundation of the gospel. The Old Old Testament sets this foundation of the gospel as it leads to this moment where Jesus comes on the scene and his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection is the gospel. Guys, this Bible all works together. And I tried to be fast, but the gospel is everything. Jesus Christ is everything, and you see God work out in the life of others. Megan told a story, but I love this one story, and I'm going to tell it. I don't care what time it is. Miss Sharon. Her neighbors looked at this this roof that was put on her house. And they said to her, who did you have to sleep with to get that roof? And she said, nobody. My God gave it to me. That is the power of the gospel. A woman that sold her children into sex slavery saw that God cared about her. And God provided for her. And God, He provided His Son, and that is the gospel. And we must never forget it. It is what makes us whole. It is what revives our heart. Guys, don't forget it. Don't forget that for one second. Jesus is. The Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are our God. I thank you so much that you don't just save me, that you don't just save the people in this room, but you, you save others. And I pray that we can use Joseph's life to see that obedience is a testimony. And that through that testimony, we can share with others and that they can see that with the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus Christ is what changes lives. Lord, I thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.